like to welcome everybody to tonight's teleclass on how many times do I have to tell you? Secrets to getting kids to listen. So tonight, Carrie Stutzman and I, who are both independent Love and Logic facilitators here in Denver, Colorado area, um, will be um, presenting um, one or two of the tools from the Becoming a Love and Logic Parent training program. And these tools are great to learn how to get kids to listen, um, develop an easy plan to follow so that you can get the results, and also hear some success stories about parents who've actually used these strategies. And I'm so thankful that you all of us joined to hear us on the call live tonight, or even if you're listening to the recording later, because it really says something about, um, about you and your willingness to invest in your parenting skills. Because I really think this is the best kid gift we can give our kids, is having a skilled, confident parent. And, um, and my partner in crime tonight, um, who believes in that <laughs> mission, is Carrie Stutzman. So Carrie, welcome. Um, Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So why don't you introduce yourself first and give the callers a little bit about your background, and then I'll tell them a little bit more about mine. All righty. Fair enough. Well, um, um, well, before I became a parent, I thought I was so well prepared to be a mom, and I found out that it was so much harder than I expected, and my some of my skills went flying out the window. And then I took a Love and a Logic class, and I realized that things had already become out of control with my three-year-old as I was hovering and rescuing and protecting and trying to make sure that he was unhappy. And so through the Love and Logic class, I just learned how important it was to be really loving and really firm. And I learned that how parents who always try to make their kids happy end up sometimes with the unhappiest kids. And so taking the class really turned my parenting paradigm upside down and made it so much better with my kids because I, I was willing to let them make mistakes. So I, had a, I have a background in social work with my master's in social work. And in 1999, I got certified as a love and logic facilitator. And so I've been teaching those classes around Denver ever since. So then after being a stay-at-home mom for 11 years, I went back to school to, be, um, to get my license in marriage and family therapy. And now I have a private practice, and I teach parenting classes, and I do public speaking on love and logic. And I also talk on a topic that I'm writing a book on called Sanity Savers for Moms, Keeping Your Sanity and Sense of Humor While Raising Young Children. Um, and I see clients in my office. And I, I deal with a lot of parenting issues and also with couples issues, and I also work with people by phone and Skype. So I'm very clear that while I've been practicing and teaching love and logic techniques, I'm still in the trenches. I'm still practicing every day. I still struggle through it myself. And I adore my three boys who are 15, 12, and 8, and they still have a lot to learn because these kids are moving targets. I've discovered that parenting is a marathon, not a sprint. And um, I teach best what I most need to learn. So I'm excited to be on tonight and talk about how do we get our kids to listen. Because I'm still working on that, too. Yeah, but we were talking about that on the, on the Q&A a little bit before the call. So um, it's, it's fun how similar our, you know, our stories are or how, where we came from. If, um, I remember when my kids were little. My, my daughter now is 15 and my son is 12. But 
you know, how tired and frustrated I was, and I wasn't sure what I was doing, and I felt stuck, and um, and when and that's when I went out and thought there has to be a better way to do this. And luckily, I stumbled across the Love and Logic Parent Program, and just uh, it made me feel calm because I had some tools to turn to. I got more confidence. I was able to get my husband on board and on the same page. Um, so we could be more c consistent, and I just felt hopeful again. And that's really what my I, my passion is, is to help other parents feel that hope again and develop that calm and confidence. And so like you, I've been teaching classes since 2003, and I do a lot of speaking to moms groups, and I have a website where I post a lot of tips and blog, blog a lot of success stories, and, um, and even like you work with clients uh, privately too. So um, it's been fun to work with Carrie here in Denver um, on helping reach in the parent community that we need to, to. And so that's one of the reasons why we decided to get together and do this call is to, to reach out and help parents again. So um, tonight's call then is one of answering one of the most common questions that we get. Right, Carrie? How many times, <laughs> Indeed. Do, how many times do I have to tell you? So I think one of the biggest answers to how many times do I have to tell you is it depends on um, how many, well, wait, let me back up. If somebody says to me, oh, my gosh, I have to tell my kid three times before they'll listen, that tells me that um, that child knows that that parent will say something three times before they really mean it. And then the next parent might say, oh, I have to tell my kid seven times before she'll listen. And that tells me that that kid knows that with that parent, they can get away with something until the parent has said it seven times. So we wanted to do this class to introduce some ideas because sometimes parents will take the, the Love and Logic class and they come back the second week after having learned some of these skills and they're so much more relaxed and calm and happy because there's some really simple techniques that we can do that really do help our kids listen. Um, faster. So this class is for you tonight if you're exhausted and overwhelmed from repeating yourself, uh, you're tired of giving threats and warnings, you love your kids but you're frustrated with their lack of cooperation, and you want to be enjoying your kids and not yelling at them. And it's not at all uncommon to have someone come take a class who's saying, I'm thinking about going back to work because parenting so hard, or I wake up and I dread being with my kids. So we want to try to change them. Yeah, so our goal is to help you to leave tonight's call with you feeling a little bit more hopeful, a little bit more inspired, and giving you some ideas of um, some next action steps for you. So grab a paper and pencil, and we're going to have some great information. We're going to give you a chance to interact, and we're also going to um, give you some information um, at the give you some information about next steps at the end of the call. Um, so, Carrie, let's get started. All righty. Can, can I ask a quick question? Oh, yeah. You, you said star six will silence. Yes. I'm just, in case someone comes in the room, I just want to be able to star six. Thank you, and that's a good Is reminder. Yep, star okay. six to silence and star six to unsilence. So when we um, are taking questions, you just hit star six again, and that will... Okay. So thank you for clarifying that. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. All right. So how many times do I have to tell you? The answer, like I was just saying a little bit ago, is up to you, the parent. And the key to that, it really is, is pretty simple. We need to set the limit once 
and then follow through with empathy before we give kids consequences. And so what that might look like is um, saying to the kids, okay, we're, it's time to leave the playground, and then actually following through and walking over and taking them and leaving the playground. And um, it's important that we don't give our kid that we don't tell our kids something like that, like we're leaving, until we're actually ready to follow through. Because if we're not ready to follow through, then they start to learn that we don't really mean it the first time, and then they learn that they don't have to listen. And I remember a time when my kids were younger, and one night my husband and I were sitting on the couch, and we had just finished watching our family TV show, and we said to our kids, okay, you guys, go get ready for bed with this fantasy that they would, this little four and six-year-old or three and five-year-old would go down the hall and wash their hands and go potty and brush their teeth and put on their jammies and come back. And that wasn't realistic. It wasn't going to happen. What we needed to do was say one time, okay, boys, it's time to go get ready for bed. And then we needed to get up and take their hands and walk down the hall with them and follow through. And um, so, Shelly, a little pop quiz for you. Do you think that the average kid who's used to getting lots of reminders and warnings is just going to shift modes and comply the first time when mom or dad says something and then they expect the kid to follow through the first time? You mean they don't look at you and say, Mom, thanks for taking that parenting class. I really like the new way you're doing it. <laughs> no, they're going to argue and complain and have tantrums because they may not be used to it. So if you've been giving a lot of warnings and reminders and you start to just say things one time and then follow through lovingly, kids are going to protest. And so that's when it's important not to give in and not to engage in arguing and convincing and explaining because doing that is about as effective as arguing with a drunk. So once our kids are having tantrums and they're carrying on and they're arguing back with us, they're not hearing, they're not rational, they're not thinking. So what we need to do is go brain dead. Don't think about what they're saying and follow through with actions. So it sounds easy. It's easy to say, right? What would it actually look like to do this? Um, Shelly, you want to do a little role play? Absolutely. How about if I be the, um, the whiny kid and you be the, the mom? Okay. All right. So first I'll say, okay, Shelly, we're going to leave the playground in two minutes. And you're probably good with that, right? Yep, I'm good with that. Okay. So now it's time to go. Okay, Shelly, it's time to go. I don't want to go. I know. I need one more slide. I know. Susie's not going. She gets to stay here. And so now at this point, I'm picking up Shelly, and I'm carrying her gently off of the playground. Saying, and what might you be saying, Shelly? You're a mean mom. I know. That's I'm, so sad. I'm not going to be your friend anymore. Oh, I'll always love you. <laughs> <laughs> and then I start, and I, then I keep screaming until I can calm myself down. <laughs> oh, you mean if we just use this technique one time, we don't just, you're not going to... You're not going to adjust right away and calm down right away? Oh, no. I'm going to test you because I want to make sure that I, I'm, that this is something you're going to stick on to. Because if it's something new, i got to escalate and test harder until I know it's something you're going to be using consistently. <laughs> now, our chance is good, though, 
that if I keep doing this with you, is it possible that you're going to learn that when I say, okay, Shelly, it's time to leave, and you get hauled off kicking and screaming, is it possible that you're going to start to learn that when I say, I know, that that means the gig is up, the argument's over, and I might as well just follow through or comply? Yeah, why waste my energy? It's not going to get me anywhere. Yep. Right. So, so, some of, so some of the brain dead, the one-liners can be, I know, or that's so sad. Shelly, what do you like to use? Oh, with, oh, with kids that are real good negotiators, um, I like to, when they're asking you the why, the why, I like to say, oh, love you too much to argue. Love <laughs> you too much to argue. I love that one, too. And I remember one time when I was arguing with my 10-year-old, I was right in the kitchen. We're arguing. I had totally forgotten my skills. And then all of a sudden, I remembered. And I said, Palmer, I love you too much to argue. And it was like this wall came slamming down. He knew that his mom had remembered her skills. And he's like, oh, man. And he turned around and he marched off. <laughs> he knew. He knew that that meant the arguing was over. He wasn't getting anywhere. So we have to be, not be afraid to follow through. Yes, they are going to protest, guaranteed. And probably the more strong-willed they are, the more they're going to protest. So that's one. Do you have anything to add to the um, the brain dead part, Shelley, before I get on forcible statements? That covered that really well. And we can ask questions about that just a little bit later if anyone has questions. But let's keep um, let's move on to the... The other skill, because I think that's going to um, be a good one that people can use right away. Yeah, I agree. I think one of my favorite love and logic skills is called enforceable statements. And there's a rule in love and logic, and that is never tell a resistant child what to do. So it doesn't mean we can't ever tell our kids to go brush their teeth or whatever, but especially once they're resistant, we need to never tell them what to do because anyone who's been around a strong-willed tyke can attest that telling them what to do is about as effective as fighting a forest fire with a squirt gun. It's human nature for people to resist and want to have some power and control in our lives. And so we set ourselves up for failure when we give commands that we can't enforce. Like if I say to a kid, stop whining, I do not have the control to enforce that. Short of blocking the oxygen passing through his little vocal cords, I can't make that happen. And so then he learns that I don't have control in that situation. So what's so much more effective is when we describe instead what we will do or allow. And this gives us ultimate control over the situation because then we can follow through. So an example would be instead of saying, okay, go wash your hands, I can use an enforceable statement and say, snack is ready for everybody who's washed their hands. And instead of saying, uh, um, quit whining, say, I will listen to you when you use your words. And can you enforce that? I can enforce if I listen or not, absolutely. And I can just keep repeating, but mommy, I listen when you use your words. But mommy, I listen when your voice is calm. Right? I can control when I'm listening. And you'd be surprised at how often just that one little reminder will calm them down and put them, and then they'll really try hard to use their words. I, that's one of my favorite I will statements, actually. Mm -hmm. 
And one of them that I like is, instead of saying, go brush your teeth, I can say, I read stories to kids who brush their teeth. What about you, Shelley? What else do you like? I like, um, instead of, pick up your toys. It's, oh, I keep the toys that I pick up. Yeah, and last night at a parenting class, <laughs> I heard a new one that a mom said that I thought was pretty funny. She said to her kid just that week, um, she said, okay, you guys, pick up the toys you want to keep because the cleaning lady's coming tomorrow, and anything that's left out, she gets to take home to her kids. <laughs> <laughs> and, she, and she could enforce that. Um, instead of, like in the store, I'm sure that I'm not the only parent who's been through a store with kids wanting this and wanting that. And so instead of saying, put that back, because it's too hard for me to control the little muscles in their hands and putting it back on the shelf, I can say, I'd be happy to let you buy that when you've saved the money for it. Absolutely. I'll yeah, be happy. And, and that's, the, it's the I will. I will, I do, I, I read, I serve. That's how I got those statements in my brain to, to um, get them out of my mouth, is trying to figure out that I, I will statement. So, and another one of my favorite ones is, um, in the morning, trying to get, get the kids moving on to that next task. I, instead of just saying, hurry up, eat that before it gets cold, you got to get, you know, your backpack ready, you got to get your shoes on, you got to get out the door. Instead of saying, I would just say, hey, I serve breakfast until 7.30, or I serve breakfast until the timer goes ding. And then I let, you know, then I can enforce that. Breakfast gets cleared out of the kitchen at 7.30. And then and if I, you go ahead, if you start clearing the table when I haven't quite finished because I've been dawdling, um, one first of all, can you enforce that? I can because I can clear the table and I can say, "Oh, so sad. Time is up. Oh, lunch is going to taste really good, sweetie. I know you're a tough kid. You can make it." And then I'm going to argue and protest about how unreasonable that was or how unnice it is or how you're not my friend anymore. And then which skill are you going to use? I'm going to go brain dead and say, oh, I know. Oh, love you too much to argue. Nice try. <laughs> <laughs> so a couple of pointers on, um, on brain dead and enforceable statements are to remember that parental anger and frustration fuel misbehavior. So the more we can keep from arguing, because arguing is irritating to us too, the less angry and frustrated we get. And the fewer times we set ourselves up for failure by giving orders that we can't enforce, the less frustrated we're going to get. And if you remember that parental anger and frustration fuel the child's misbehavior, it makes it easier to be sing-songy and to be calm. Um, enforceable statements really have to be provided with a caring attitude. You know, the same expression said with sarcasm and coldness sends a whole different message. So our tone is super important. And um, two more little pointers. One is that great parents keep their enforceable statements short and sweet, very simple ones. And they also describe the limit once and follow through with actions instead of words. Well, this is a good breaking point. Let's open it up for um, a, a few questions. Um, we have probably about seven minutes to take questions here, and then what we'll do is we'll come back, and Carrie and I have more examples of parents that have used this real successfully with some really fun stories. So um, I think all of you are 
Um, lines are open, and so if you do have a question, just if you can give us your name um, and then ask your question. Or, or clarifying any point. Anybody have anything? Well, I, this is Tracy, and Tracy. I have um, a question not really related to enforceable statements, because I have a um, 18 month old. But, and I know we don't really believe in these except stages or phases that they go through, but my little guy is screaming all the time. And it's like, you know, if somebody walks up to him, he thinks he's going to take his toy. And I have no idea how to get him to stop screaming. So he's 18 months old, and he just he will just scream as his way to react if he thinks someone's going to take his toy. Right. Or if he thinks, you know, or if he even he wants something and... Um, the daycare is just, you know, and I've given them, you know, different ideas to do, and they don't believe in, you know, they all sleep in, in pack and place for their nap, so they don't want to put them in the pack and play for, you know, some uh, spend time or whatever. Yeah. But he also does it at home, and I just, I cannot, I put him in the pack and play. But he's still, you know, I have a four-year-old who teases him, and so he gets in trouble. But he just I don't know how to get him to stop screaming. So the skill that comes to mind, and Carrie, you can add some to later, is that there's a skill in Love and Logic called the Uh-Oh Song. And when you don't know what else to do, that is kind of your universal consequence. And the Uh-Oh Song is based on the principle of teaching their kids to self-soothe and calm down um, when they're acting in a way that's not following the family rules or not fun to be around. And it's a several-step process, and it does take a while to explain all the nuances of this. But I know, Tracy, you know, you know about this, this skill. And this might, um, if anybody wants to know more about it, you can maybe use one of the offers we have coming up to take advantage to ask Carrie and me more about the uh-oh song. But one thing I would try, Tracy, is putting him into a separate room so he is away right. from the family until yes. he calms down, and then you can bring him out. Because right now he's still kind of in where the action is when he's in the, pl pl the playpen, the pack and play. No, and he's in a separate room. He's in a separate room. Okay. And how long do you let him stay there until he calms and call after he calms down? Um, I usually let him stay one or two minutes. Okay. And so, is he making the connection that uh oh means time away? Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I I sing it all the time. Um, I don't know that he's really getting. So let me, well, I'll work with you offline to go into the steps and see if we can tweak any of the steps. So that would be the first thing I'd do is let's tweak those steps and teach the daycare how to do it and why it, um, it's okay to do that doesn't affect their sleep time. But Carrie, do you have anything to add or any other ideas to suggest to Tracy? Oh, yeah, I'd throw out a couple of thoughts. And one is just to remember that for as many there are as many different approaches to dealing with situations as there are people sometimes. So sometimes we just have to experiment. So I think you could experiment with the uh-oh. Um, I would also think just to remember sometimes that we 
our kids start to develop a little tiny bit of language. They get some words. And then we think that they should be able to use their words so much more effectively than they can. But it takes a while for them to get sophisticated enough to recognize their feelings and their needs and to be able to express them calmly. So with someone who's 18 months, um, I think one thing that I heard was some other mom said is, once I realized that my child was just going to scream or cry every day for the first seven years, parenting got so much easier. So to recognize that it's normal, and then also maybe to do some empathizing, like to pick him up and hold him and just to say, I know, it's hard, or whatever, because he's probably scared or mad or frustrated about something. And so to bring him in and just empathize that it's hard when you have to take a nap or it's hard when your brother takes your toy, um, to try just using empathy. you have a good offer to work to talk with Shelly a little bit offline and hopefully she can share some ideas for the uh-oh. Is there anyone else who has a question? Yeah, about that uh-oh, like what age can you start using that? I have a 10-month-old who, um, and this is Kim in Nebraska, by the way, she, um, the minute you lay her on the changing table to change her pants, she is twisting, turning, squirming, screaming, um, I have to get her pants changed. Do I immediately go, uh-oh, even before I change her pants and put her in there and then change her pants after? No. Or I, I would say for somebody that young, don't go to uh-oh yet. Go to empathy. Yeah. And okay. just as she's doing it, first of all, when my kids were that age, I gave up on the changing table and I called mm -hmm. it combat dressing. And I would just go sit on the family room floor with a blanket and I would like put my legs out in a V and sometimes I would have to like straddle, you know, put the hold them down a little bit just to get the job done and they didn't yeah. like it. And so I would just empathize like, I know, it's so hard to hold still. I know mm -hmm. you don't like this, do you? So you can, mm -hmm. you can do that. And one other strategy I've heard parents use is they have a special couple of toys that are only used for diaper changing for kids that age so that they get a cool, fun toy to engage them just for the few seconds that you need to whip off their clothes and change the diaper and put it back on. Huh. Or okay. that that's a time to sing, sing a funny song, make funny oh, faces, yeah. do some pat-a-cake, some things to try to disarm some of the resistance and the struggle by making it a fun, engaging time with eye contact, with some loving, some nice words, some playtime. Okay. And, and then so uh-oh can, uh -oh uh -oh. can come later. Okay. Uh-oh uh -oh can start pretty young. I remember someone having a 15-month-old who was biting her shoulder, and so she would hold him. And at that age, an uh-oh was just a simple, uh-oh, we don't bite. And, she'd, and she would set him on the floor for like 30 seconds. And that mm -hmm. felt like a little mini timeout for somebody so little. Sure. The love and logic quote is, you know, that children are old enough to learn the uh-oh song as soon as they're old enough to spit beats across the table. <laughs> but, but I, I think... Like, 
I like what Carrie had to say because you, you'd be surprised, even with older kids, if you can start with empathy, whatever skill you decide to use next, empathy, if you can start with that, you, it's amazing how far you'll get with that. Um, and I know, and I heard Charles do a presentation once which I just had to laugh at too, when he said, encourage the behavior, like, oh, sweetie, I know you're not going to want to get your diaper changed. I know it's so hard. So do you just want to cry now? <laughs> and let's get all, mm -hmm. get all your squirming and crying out now. Okay, are you done yet? Okay, now let's try changing your diaper. And for some kids, mm -hmm. that might work too, maybe a little bit older. So, all right, Carrie, maybe one more quick question, and then we'll um, come back to the program. Anybody else have something? Yeah, this is Lindsay from Denver. Um, I have a four-and-a-half-year-old little boy, and I have a two-week-old. Um, Congratulations. My, yeah, brand new. Um, so my question is, uh, a lot of these tools and, and you know, um, just following through, is, it's helping a lot with my four-and-a-half-year-old. It's going great. Uh, the times when it's not and where I feel just at a loss of what to do is playtime with friends. He's um, just oftentimes... Uh, just really, really, really getting offended at every small, slightest little thing from other friends and going into fits of crying and just not getting along. And so my question is, how do you use the, um, you know, the strategies you talked about today um, when there's another friend there, when there's another playmate so that you're not interfering too much but you're trying to help them through it, I guess. Kelly, you want to take that? Um, yeah, is the mom there too? Are both moms there too, or is it just um, a play date with the friend that got dropped off? A play date, yeah. Okay. Um, you know, I still um, like the skill of modeling because I don't think we model enough behavior for our kids so they understand what to do and how to share. Um, so I'd even set up a little practice session and um, and make sure that it's kind of not a training issue first. Always assume it's that he understands. And so you and he get together and say, okay, we're gonna, I'm going to pretend I'm your friend, and let's practice sharing. And, and then you kind of help him, oh, I want that toy. So, and this is what I do when I say I want that toy, and this is how I ask. And, oh, if I saw you take my toy away from me, how would you act and model it for him and show him and give him some skills. So with sharing and playtime, I think we forget about modeling for our kids how that works. So I start with that. And then, Carrie, what do you do next after you know it's not a training issue? Well, I really like that approach. Um, and one of the things that I like to do with when if they're – this is about fighting over toys and stuff. Uh, pretty much running over toys and also just, you know, what, who's the boss? Like, who, you know, one child wants to do something and the other one doesn't want to do it and just those kind of things. So I think one of the best weapons that a parent can keep in their pocket or their purse is a little mini timer, and it can work wonders. So if you have little people who are fighting over who gets to pick the game or who's the boss or which toy to play with, um, timers can be wonderful. So if they're four years old, you could say, okay, you get to have that toy for four minutes. And when the timer rings, then the other kid gets it. 
And so often when I used to do that when my kids were younger, by the time the timer rang, they were like, they had played with five different toys and they were already off in the backyard doing something else and they had gotten distracted. So that's one way to teach them to take turns. And I do think it's important to let them see that whether there are other kids around, whether you're in public, whether the grandparents are there, whether you're on the phone, that you can figure out ways to handle their misbehavior without breaking a sweat. Absolutely. Great. Oh, well, yeah. that, those are some great, some great questions, and we'll hopefully have some more time for questions at the end. Um, but let's get back to the program, Carrie. And one thing I was I'm wondering if you have, um, <laughs> if you've heard parents say this to you, I would just do anything not to have to repeat myself. I would give anything if I would know what to do with the strong-willed kids. Have you heard your parents tell you that? I have indeed. And um, and then when they come and sign up and take a class, one of the things so often happens is, you know, maybe they've done, they've read some of the books and heard some of those ideas, but they, when they come to the class, they act, they get so much more out of it. And so I think that, that I would do anything can so often look like some parent coaching or taking a class to really get in there and practice it and feel some new skills. And in a class, you get to hear how you hear other people's stories. And I think one of the nicest things is people often walk out of a parenting class feeling normal, learning that their kids aren't the only ones that are screaming every day or that are falling down and having tantrums or that are struggling during diaper change and all that. And so they feel normal and that parenting is harder than they expected. And just last week in a class that I was teaching, I had a mom talk about how she used to be so stressed and yell at her kids so much and um, that her daughter had had a bellyache every day and was biting her nails. And she said that since that she hasn't yelled at them once since she started the class four weeks ago. And she has felt so calm and relaxed. And she actually said that her little girl's belly aches and finger and nail biting went away. They completely vanished because taking the class helped her just get so much calmer and so much more effective. Because when we don't know what to do with their misbehavior and when they're running the house, it's stressful for us. And she got some strategies and some skills, and she felt like she could handle their misbehavior without breaking a sweat. And she was just so calm sitting on that couch. It was fun to watch her. And then there was one other mom at a class about five weeks ago in Denver, and she had said that parenting was such a struggle and so stressful that before the class started, she had told her husband she wanted to go back to work because she was just not enjoying being around her kids. And after the class, she was just singing the praises of what she had learned in the class. And she was so excited because parenting became fun again and so much easier. And now she enjoys her kids. And she just doesn't have any desire to go back to working for pay. So it made a huge difference for her. So Shelley, do you want to share some ideas about what people might, want to, might do if they want to take the next step? Yeah, we have, Carrie and I are obviously very passionate about and believe in the change that can make by taking a class. And this is such a great time for all of you who are in the Denver metro area because Carrie and I have three upcoming classes here between the two of us. And if you go on to our, fa go on to Facebook and go on to either of our fan pages 
and post a comment about this class. Um, we will, and say you're interested in taking the class, we will give you a special coupon so that you could take the, the class for only $100 as a single or only $175 as a couple. And that's a 25% discount. And we're only offering that special price to people that are on this call or listening to the recording. So all you have to do is go to our Facebook uh, fan pages. On facebook.com, mine is head and heart parent. Just type that into the search bar. And Carrie's is Stutzman Consulting. Stutzman Consulting. And, and Stutzman is spelled S-T-U-T, Z as in zebra, M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy. And Carrie, so what about the people that don't live in Denver then? So for people who don't live in Denver and can't come take the class, if you guys go to either of our Facebook pages, then we would like to give you a free 20-minute coaching call. So if you go post, a, post a, a message about what you learned from this teleseminar or from the recording of it, what you got out of it, what you're excited about, then we will send you a message back to schedule time for a complimentary coaching call. And if, if any of you do not have access to Facebook, then you're welcome just to go to our website. And the email invitation that you received um, has all of our website contact information on it. And when we send you the follow-up recording of this call, you'll have that too. So Facebook or um, our websites, either one. Okay. Um, so should, we, should we go back and wrap up with some enforceable statements? Or are we taking questions right now? Nope, that's exactly what I was going to suggest. Let's wrap up, and then we'll be able to open up for questions here. So do you have any stories about how this has worked for the parents that you've taught, Carrie? I'd love to, I have some stories, but I'd love to hear yours, too. We'll share both of us. All right. Well, one of them, um, um, one of them is, is a story from when my son, my youngest son, was four, and the others would have been eight and ten. And I went into the store and I got bagels. And Landon had placed his order and I got what he wanted. And when I got back out to the car, he had changed his mind and he wanted a different kind of bagel. And there was a part of me that would have, that would have, could have so easily said, look, you get what you get, don't have a fit, you know, just take it and eat it. No, I'm not going back in there. But to, it was a good day and I could remember to use an enforceable statement, which was just, Sure, sweetie, I would be happy to get you that uh, the chocolate chip bagel the next time. So if I were to say to him, stop fussing, this is all you've got, that would be an unenforceable statement. That would be an order that I couldn't do anything about. But instead, I could control it to say, oh, sweetie, I will be so glad to do it the next time. I will. I would be happy to. I'm willing to. And so it doesn't mean that he just stopped and said, oh, gee, Mommy, thanks, that's great. He still fussed a little while longer. But he got to learn that having a fit didn't get him what he was trying to get. What about you, Shelley? Well, and that's such a great strategy. When you can't do something right now or change what is, uh, you can say, I'll be happy to do that next time for you. And I've heard parents say that, do that successfully over and over again. In fact, one of the parents um, who listened to our call last week, that's what she posted on my uh, fan page, was her little girl came out of her room and said, I want a drink of water. And mom said, I'll be happy to get you a drink of water tomorrow night. 
And the little girl was just stunned for a moment and said, well, I want water now. And Mom said, I'll be happy to give you a glass of water tomorrow night. And she looked back at Mom and said, okay, I'll take one tomorrow night, and went back into bed. <laughs> and I lo- it was like, oh, I'd love to hear when that works, because you're confusing them, and they're thinking, okay, she's not saying no to me. She's going to give me a glass of water. It's just not right now what I want it. <laughs> so what else? What about you, Carrie? Um, one of them, there was a mom who his her son hadn't done his chores, and he wanted to go have a play date. And so he went over and asked his mom if he could have the play date. And instead of saying, no, you need to get in the house and do your chores, she just said, sure, I'll be happy to take you to Cole's house as soon as your chores are done. And that seemed kind of reasonable, and he didn't fuss and carry on, and he went and did his chores. And about 20 minutes later, he was happily on his way to Cole's house. That's so much more effective than saying, Get your chores done. I'm not taking you to cold until your chores are done. <laughs> right, because if you did that, if I was the kid and you did that, I would get to be focusing on what a jerk you are. Yeah. But if you said, sure, I'll be happy to take you to Cole's house as soon as your chores are done, I would be more likely to be thinking, darn it, I wish I had done my chores earlier. That wasn't a good decision. Absolutely. The other thing I will statements do for you, too, is it allows you to demonstrate self-care for um, and that and that you get you deserve the respect that you just de- you know that you deserve and I had a mom who did this with a little eight-year-old boy who was very disrespectful she was a single mom very mouthy very back talk and she thought what you know what can I do about this that will really make an impact and at, at bedtime she'd always give him back rub tickles they called it um, and so he said, Mom, Mom, come and give me back rub tickles. And she came in and said, oh, this is so sad, but I only give back rub tickles to boys who treat me with respect. And I didn't feel very respected tonight. So maybe we'll try again tomorrow. Love you. Good night. Right? And the little boy was, oh, I can't sleep without tickles. And Mom said, oh, I know. You're a mean mom. Oh, I know, and maybe we'll try again tomorrow. Right? She said it just broke her heart because he cried himself to sleep that night. But you know what happened the next morning at breakfast, Carrie? What? Eating his bowl of cereal, kind of looked sheepishly up out of the corner of his eye and said, Mom, if I treat you good today, will you give me back rib tickles tonight? Oh. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's sweet. It is sweet. And if she hadn't been willing to let him spend that one night being sad and regretting what he had done and feeling the pain of his mistake, she wouldn't have gotten to reap the benefits of a sweeter, more respectful child the next day and a happy, cozy, snuggly, tickly tuck-in time, huh? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I hope that you all get a chance to actually try using some of these I will statements and being able to back them up with some of the brain-dead skills And, again, these are just two of the 12 skills that we teach in the program, and we've mentioned some of the others, but we do want to open up. We still have um, about 10 10 minutes to take additional questions. We're getting a little bit of feedback here, so we'll see what happens. Um, Maybe that cleared up. Um, So what we want to do before we open it up for questions, though, is, is if you can... We always like to hear 
which of the skills or what idea that you can leave the call with and maybe something you're willing to try and experiment with. So um, if you would, and so if you would just be any, let's hear from two or three of you if you'd be willing to share maybe an idea that you learned from this call that you want to experiment with or an aha moment as Oprah calls it. Does anybody have something they'd like to share and then we'll open it up for questions. Um, this is Amber from Missouri. Um, I've been taking notes, so <laughs> I like the that you said the enforceable statements out loud. I like the I will, I do, I read, I serve. I will. I like those because then I can go through later and put out sentences and have them memorized, so I don't have to try to think about it or get flustered later on. Yay! Great takeaway. Thank you, Amber. Thank you. Anybody else? Okay, so let's open it up for some questions then. And we will try to end right at 9.30. If we still have a couple extra questions, Carrie and I can stay on a few minutes later. But um, feel free to um, leave when you need to leave the call. We thank you, all of you that were able to stay with us. And before life gets too distracting and too in a way, um, try to take a moment and think about if a class or if coaching would work for you. And go out to Facebook and get get something posted so you can take advantage of it. So um, thank you for those who've joined the call and now let's hear from hear some, hear some questions. Um, again, this is Amber from Missouri. I just had a quick question. My daughter, I take her to time out or I'm trying to enforce her punishment. And if I have to do the timeouts, I usually send her to the corner. But then she's like refusing to go to the corner because she says there's a spider in it because there was one. And like if I try to put her in the high chair to buckle her in, she laughs and like unbuckles herself and says I can get out. And like short of thanking her because we used to do that and I don't want to do that anymore. Like how can I enforce those without like? I don't know. When she was younger, we would hold her down, like just hold her on our lap, but I don't know what else to do. Yep. Carrie, do you want to take that one? And it's Amber? Yeah. And she's and three years old. So. Three years old. Okay. Well, that can, be a, um, that can be a time to use the enforceable statements. Um, so, well, I don't know. Shelly, do you have any thoughts jumping to your mind? Well, I'm thinking, well, we use uh, the uh-oh song is what Love and Logic uses instead of timeout. Um. And it allows, and so I'm kind of leaning towards that just because it's a better way to do um, that kind of discipline instead of timeout. Mm -hmm. Like what Carrie said, you always try to lead with I will statements or choices to get the cooperation. Um, but the biggest difference in the uh-oh song then, it, then with a timeout is we do have you put them in her bedroom. And before you do the uh-oh song with her the first time, you um, and Carrie, I think you explained this really well once when I heard you talk about it. You take her to a room and say, you know, sweetie, sometimes when you need, when you're a little out of control, mom's going to have you come into your room to calm down. And what do you need in order to calm down? Let's look at, let's make a calm down corner. Do you need a bunny? Do you need a rabbit? Do you need your dolly? 
Okay, so you kind of set it up that it's not about punishment. It's about, wow, you're kind of out of control right now. You're not following the family rules. You're not fun to be around. You need really to go to your room and calm down and pull yourself together, you know. And, and then you carry out the steps of the uh-oh song. And there are too much to get in into tonight's call, but I, if that resonates with you at all, I'd really encourage you to look at learning more about how to do the uh-oh song. But I love that as the basis for it because those strong-willed kids, it, it's telling them you're not being punished, you're just getting a place and a chance to calm down. Well, what do you do if, like, you do send them to their room, but they immediately, like, try to come back out again? Yep, then you say, hey, sweetie, you want the door open or closed? And if they come out, looks like you chose closed. If they come out again, oh, looks like you chose locked. And then you do lock it. But it's not like you're leaving and going to Starbucks for the afternoon. You're going to be right. right there keeping them safe in their home, in your home. Yeah, I think the problem I have is she, like, is smart now, and she knows she knows how to unlock the door, and she just la laughs at that. Yep. So you got to got to turn you got to turn the lock around and lock it from the outside. Oh, that's genius. Okay. Yep. <laughs> okay. And one thing one thing I was thinking about too, like with the car seat, is to choice her into it. So if you know that you're about ready to go get in the car, and that the car seat, the buckling the car seat tends to be a struggle. You can give her a whole bunch of choices building up to it. So do you want to put on your shoes or mommy put on your shoes? Do you want to walk to the car or get a piggyback ride to the car? Do you want to climb into the car or have mommy hop you into the car? And then do you want to climb into the seat um, with your eyes closed or with your eyes open? And keep doing all of these little choices so that it has become kind of a game, but really she's in control of all of those things. Because in the end, when it comes time to buckle it, that's a big person decision, and you've decided she has to be buckled. That's not really an option. But she can have a bunch of choices building up to it. So do you want to hold this strap, or should I hold this strap? Do you want to sing ABCs or 1, 2, 3s while, um, while we're buckling you? And keep giving her choices as you buckle her in, just to help reduce and disarm some of her defiance. Okay. And then if she does get buckled in, you know, at the end when it's buckled, if she's still protesting, then it's time to just empathize. Yeah. Say, I know you don't like it in your car seat. That's so sad. And just just be loving and empathetic, but it doesn't change the fact that she needs to be buckled in. Yeah, it's, our problem is we're going down the road and she unbuckles herself, so we have to stop the car. No, I, I do tell her, like, we can drive again once you're buckled. And if it takes too long, I tell her, well, now we don't have time to do the thing that you wanted to do because you chose to wait here instead. That's great. You're using some great enforceable statements and some good consequences. So you're on the right track. Keep doing what you're doing and do more of it, and you'll be in good shape. Thank you. Anybody else? Um, question versus, I mean, and I'm new to Love and Logic. This is Kim in Nebraska. And um, question about, does Love and Logic always promote consequences versus punishment? Love and Logic promotes seeing misbehavior as an opportunity for our kids to learn. So punishment really doesn't necessarily, the word punishment is really almost never used in the classes. 
It's more about how can we help them learn a lesson. So, um, and some of that's just how you phrase it, you know. So if you say um, you have ten minutes to pick up to pick up your toys, um, you could call it a punishment that we pick up the toys and keep them and put them in toy jail, or we can reframe that concept and say that's so sad when you don't pick up your toys, they go to toy jail. And we can empathize because it's painful for the kid that they're losing their toys. And it is a consequence of what happens, and it's real world. Because in the real world, if I leave my stuff laying around, it might disappear or it might get broken. And so we can, so we, so we teach through, we teach through trying to create real life situations for our kids. So if you have a specific um, example, I'd be happy to address that. But from the theoretical perspective, I would say that's the love and logic approach. Okay, very good, thing. And, and one thing that comes up so often in the parenting classes is that we tend to think that if our kids suffer, that if they're not suffering, that they're not learning. So if we send them to their room and they like to be in their room, it's easy to think that that's not working. Or if we ask them to do a chore to make up for, you know, maybe some time or an energy drain and they're happy to help, it's easy to think, oh, well, that's not effective because it's this thinking that somehow we all seem to grow up with that they're only learning if they're being if they're suffering, if they feel like they're being punished. Whereas instead we can just teach you know, teach the kid that basically if you break something, you fix it. If you hurt somebody if you offend your brother or, you know, do something mean to your little brother, then you need to do something nice to your brother to repair the damage of what you've done. Okay. Um, my sister has older kids. Uh, teenagers, 16 and 14, and she's struggling with punishment. Like my niece is driving where she's not supposed to be driving, um, lying about babysitting, and she's not babysitting. She's um, driving around with friends or whatever. So how does she, instead of as a punishment of taking the keys away or a consequence of that, I mean, how does she frame that into a life choice or a learning experience? You turn that into an I, an I will statement. Oh, I only give, I only lend the keys to my car to kids who I can, I know they're going to be where they say they're going to be. And I, okay. you know, oh, so I only let kids drive my car when they can pay for gas. Or I let kids drive my car who show responsibility and respect. Because it's her car, and she has control over the keys and when she lends it. But, Mom, I know it's so sad that when you don't show me respect and tell, tell me where you're really going to be, your life gets sad. But, Mom, that is so not fair. <laughs> I know. You are so mean, man. Melanie's mom doesn't do that to her. I love you too much to argue. <laughs> okay. She needs, she needs to be on this phone call. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, I think you can, can't you invite, like you can go to our Facebook pages or our website and sign up for the newsletter, and you can always forward those to a friend and maybe lovingly expose her and mm -hmm. invite her to the parenting articles and stuff like that. Oh, I've tried. I've tried. So <laughs> I just shake my head and go, oh, if you only knew. If you were only doing this. <laughs> 
Yeah, we're lucky. We we get to work with the parents who are open at the top and want to learn new methods and you know ways of making their life, you know, their their families happier and healthier. So, yeah, it's a pretty sweet spot that we get to talk to the people like you guys who've spent your time tonight calling in to learn how to do things differently. Yeah. And okay. One other option was would be to you know her drive her daughter to, you know, the babysitting, you know, and then find out, oh, there's no babysitting, you know, just another. Yeah, she, yeah, she needs to actually um, do some follow-through. She's a huge talker and doesn't follow through, and her kids have learned that, and so, unfortunately, she's, she's suffering because of that. And it takes, it takes courage to follow through. And to be yeah. and to be strict and to let your kids get mad at you. And if someone isn't starting until the teen years, it mm -hmm. just takes longer to turn that boat around. And and it's hard. It's uncomfortable when our kids are mad at us. Yeah. But it's the biggest gift we can give them is to let them learn from the mistakes that they've made while they're young, while we're there to love them and encourage them. So that by the time they're making bigger decisions and bigger mistakes, they've had a lot of experience. Um, making good decisions and bad decisions and getting to learn from both. Yeah. And that is a wonderful way to end our call. That is uh, great. <laughs> Thank you for summarizing that so well, Carrie. And I appreciate you joining me on this call tonight and all the great parents who invested their hours. So thank you, everybody, and watch for the recording um, that will come out sometime tomorrow in your email. Thank you, everybody. Thank Have you a guys. good night. Thank you. Have a Thank good you night. So Thank you. Bye-bye.